Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hi everyone, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are talking about Revelations, Season 3, Episode 7. I always get really excited whenever we get to a Episode 7, and we've talked about it before simply because it feels like everything is leading up to this episode, and this is where we kind of start to really get into um, the heart of the new season. Everything before has kind of been dealing with aftermath of the previous seasons, and this one is just. Ah, it's so good. I will say I don't think this episode is as good for me as Angel and Lie to Me, but it's still a really good episode and just as strong as the episodes before it. What did you guys think of it? I actually disagree. I think I like this episode better than Angel. Oh, um, interesting. I really like this episode. I think that it's very interesting and I, I like the pace of it and like it really uh, goes into what this season is going to be about. Without obviously giving it away. There's more in the storyline in this one than an Angel. I think Angel's a little bit slower of an episode. I think that the innocence and the sweetness of Angel I like, but this one has, um, I guess, more to talk about, even though there's some scenes I abhor. Yeah, I don't know. For me, I love Angel. I think that last fight sequence is really cool because, you know, Darla's there. I feel like there's an emotional gut punch. The fact that we find out that Angel's a vampire, there's a lot going on. But I'm again, it's a solid episode and there's definitely a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that happen. So I really can't complain. All right. So since there's a lot to talk about, let's just jump right into it. So Revelations, Season 3, Episode 7, written by Douglas Petrie, directed by James Contner, and it aired November 17th, 1998. So we're going to talk about Douglas Petrie just for a second. He, This is his first episode that he's written for Buffy, and he will go on to write many, many more. He's married to Alexa Jungle, another writer who actually wrote many episodes for Friends for many years. He wrote the scripts for X-Files and then actually co-wrote the movies Harriet the Spy and Fantastic Four. The old Fantastic Fours? Just the first one. Yeah, like the OG Fantastic Four. I love that movie. I think it's so good. Yeah, I actually do think – like going back and watching it, I was like, this is actually not as bad as people make it out to be. Agreed. I think that they could have done better with some better casting. That's in my personal opinion. And maybe some better directing, but I think the bones of it was really good. He's written and produced several amazing shows, such as The Defenders, Daredevil, American Horror Story, Charlie's Angels, Pushing Daisies, True Calling with Elijah Dushku, CSI, and most recently, The Nevers, Joss Whedon's newest show. He was actually the co-showrunner for Daredevil and The Defenders, which is kind of cool. Um, On meeting Joss, I know that Joss Whedon had written Speed, which I just loved. I said, yeah, I want to meet the guy who wrote Speed. And we met and hit it off in a huge way. We really liked each other. We both talked about the Star Wars re-release and how we hated the fact that they changed the movie so that Han gets shot at before shooting Greedo in the bar. (laughs) When I saw that there was a movie called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I had to see it. I was colossally disappointed and I bored the hell out of all of my friends going, with a title like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it should have been this and this. (laughs) 
You know, you should have teen sex. You should have great jokes. You should have great karate fights. It should be a really cool movie. And they had no idea what I was talking about. They said, you went to go see a movie called Bobby the Vampire Slayer. Of course, it's terrible. And I was like, no, it should be great. I was really frustrated about that. And so then I met with Joss where we talked about it. And then he said, so would you be interested in writing on staff? And I was like, yeah, I guess, he said very unenthusiastically. So he didn't give me the job. We kept in touch, even though I wasn't on staff. I wrote a couple of outlines for episodes that never made it. I thought this was really interesting. He said one of his outlines was um, Buffy was a babysitter. It was a babysitting episode. And she babysits for a baby that's not human. It turns out that the father is really evil, and it was pretty cool. We went pretty far with it and then realized it wouldn't work. Then there was another one, a mirror episode where the girl's bathroom mirror in Sunnydale High comes alive and it becomes this kind of little, like this embodiment of vanity and it pulls Buffy in and steps out. So it's like doppelganger Buffy, bad Buffy. And she's the living embodiment of vanity and she goes around being a lot like Cordelia. In theory, I think that could be cool, but I have a feeling in the hands of the 90s, it would come across as a bit stereotypical sexist. Yes, I agree. Like, oh, vanity is only an issue that girls wrestle yes. with. Guys don't mm-hmm. wrestle with this. If yes. they had it plagued throughout the school and then a few people had the same issue and a couple of them were men, that'd be cool too. But it can't just yeah. be Buffy because then it's like, okay, the female blonde pretty chick is the only one plagued with this issue. Yeah. And I mean, the show does a really good job of being subversive. So I'm sure they would have had different tropes in there. But just the fact that it's the girls' bathroom Mm -hmm. is just kind of interesting. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, an interesting premise, but I'm kind of glad they didn't go through with it. He goes on to talk about him getting hired and how he had always wanted to do a TV series or movie that's like the Marvel comics he grew up reading. He talks about how people assume that when you read comics that they are unrealistic and stupid, but no one realizes that they are written smartly and technically are not for kids, which I feel like could be said about the show Buffy as well. He says, um, especially Spider-Man, it's very much like Buffy. Emotionally, the guy's a mess, but he's got these superpowers that help him, and everything's a metaphor. I've always very, very strongly felt, and this is why I'm so frustrated with a lot of the fantasy movies or action adventures, that if you're going to go to a fantasy place, you have to ground it emotionally as much as possible. You have to really sell the audience. No, no, this is really happening in the best sense. Buffy and Spider-Man have this huge overlap. What's interesting about Spider-Man is that he's incredibly vulnerable and Peter Parker's love life is constantly a mess. He can stop the end of the world, but he can't get a date. That's where that guy lives and it's really fun. Kind of like Buffy, which I mean, throughout the show, there's lots of Marvel winks and nods. And I think, I mean, Buffy herself is based off of one of the X-Men, Kitty Pride. So I think it's kind of cool that he brings it back to the comics. Buffy's based off Kitty? Mm-hmm. Have we talked about that before? Yeah. <laughs> no, we have not. Yeah, we have. We talked about it in the Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered episode because Xander had all the posters on his wall and I talked about it. Is Kitty the one that could become non-carporeal? Yeah, she can go through walls. Um. So then fun fact. I did not know this, but the interview goes on and Doug Petrie gives us a fun factoid about David Fury, who we've talked about before. He's written a couple Buffy episodes and he's also like a co-producer. Um. And apparently David Fury voiced the pilot in the opening of the Raiders of the Lost Ark film. He's the guy that's flying while Harrison Ford is in the plane and the snake comes in and he says, come on, show a little backbone, will you? Oh, that's just my pet snake, Reggie. That's David Fury who's voicing that. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of cool. All right, so let's talk about Revelations for a second. 
We've talked before about how episode seven is significant. Obviously, season one was Angel. Season two was uh, Lie to Me. Um, Angel was important because it showed, hey, a vampire, a vampire with a soul, and that kind of just changed the course of the whole show. Uh, Season two was Lie to Me, and it highlighted the major theme of not only the rest of the season, but even kind of the tagline for the series as a whole, which is choice. You always have a choice. It may not be a good one, but you have one. Um, And the first six episodes of each season deal with the fallout and aftermath of the season before while also building towards the themes of the new season. The seventh episode is typically the turning point of the season where things really get going. Um, And also, fun fact, so Joss Whedon was asked a couple years back why the seventh episode was always kind of the turning point. And he answered and said it was because it was usually the next episode that he was able to direct And so he would save all the goodies for himself. And so it ended up becoming a very pivotal episode simply because that's when Joss Whedon was next available to direct. So yeah, this has been Factoids with Sarah. Back to you, Tabby. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. That was very interesting. Oh, thank you. All right, guys. Welcome to Didman's Party Part 2. I didn't realize... So freaking true. Like how much I would abhor parts of this episode um mm-hmm. i forget how much they dig in so i'd just like to preface a little trigger warning if uh, <laughs> people get riled up with us and they want to have a calm and relaxing day maybe skip this one and then come back <laughs> yes because i have some words for some characters i have some words for um a couple characters and yes, yes guys i'm not just talking about xander there's more people i'm uh, upset yeah. at in this episode Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, We're not mm-hmm, just going to mm-hmm. hate on Xander. He will get hate. Yes, I mean, but I feel him. like everyone in the right mind watching this episode is going to hate Xander. So I feel like I don't need to spend so much time crapping on him just because it's like everything he does is absolutely horrible on this episode. But I feel like the reason why a lot of people kind of escape is because there's so much attention on Xander. I'm not going to let some people, you know, hide in the bushes and not get any hate from this episode just because someone's a lot worse than they are. Yeah. I um I'm pretty worked up, so I'm I'm going to be hating on Xander and other people as well because it's therapeutic for me. All right, let's talk about it cuz I got I got things to say. I'm like, okay, so we're going to skip everything and then just go to the No, no don't. We need the build up. We need to be talking about this. Okay, so good build up would be this uncomfortable Interaction in the bronze. Let's just talk about it, okay? So there, we cut straight to the bronze, and we see all oh, cutie little Oz playing his like electric guitar. And he's like keeps sending these like sweet looks at Willow. He's done this a couple episodes now, and I'm like, you're doing this on purpose. My gosh! And then he comes over, and this is very. It felt odd to me. Like this camera was like following Oz, and I was like, when do we ever just follow just Oz? Has this ever happened? We don't see Oz enough. But yes, but it's also like the only reason why the camera is only following him is because we want to see him coming into the inside of an uncomfortable situation. And the fact that he's a part of a third party debacle. And it's very frustrating. I'm like, this poor character, first of all, has like three lines in this whole episode. Like three. That's it. And then it's just being thrown around in these uncomfortable situations without knowing they are. And it's just nice. Him and Cordelia. It's a little frustrating because – She's not very nice in this episode, but – I mean, she has her moments, but 
it's frustrating because I'm like, okay, we had some real good character growth in Homecoming. And here we are again with Cordelia being relegated back to only being there to make Xander guilty and to talk about what's happening in the plot. And I'm like, okay, we're back to this again. Like, same with Oz, too. I just have beef with whoever wrote Cordelia this season. At least up until yeah. this point. I, I want to fight. Like, <laughs> I mean, I pr- actually, I just want to fight Joss Whedon for many reasons. <laughs> but just like, what on earth? Cordelia is so much better than this. Oz is so much better than this. Willow is so much better than this. Like, it's just so annoying. It stops there. <laughs> yeah, I was like waiting for Xander. No, no. <laughs> oh, man. And so he comes up and the Willow's like, Oz, hey. I take a little bit of um, sadistic pleasure in watching Willow and Xander being uncomfortable because I'm like, yes, be uncomfortable. Feel how we all have been feeling for, what is this, episode three now? It feels like an eternity. I'm glad you can feel some sort of happiness just because I get mad when they feel uncomfortable because I'm like, you're not allowed to sit here and be uncomfortable. Own up to it. I feel like the Willow and Xander scenes in Homecoming was like, oh, Okay, I can see why they're here, even though I may not agree with it. But now here we are weeks later, and I'm going, okay, this is no longer, oh, no, it was an accident. This is now intentional. And yeah, okay, we'll get there. I'm jumping way ahead. I mean, the first time them kissing in like the dressing room is unintentional. The second time in that same episode was at that point, okay, now you have to face the music. And there have been several times since then. But anyway, okay, we need to move on. So, <laughs> the, okay, I'm just going to give the highlights of the scene because it makes me uncomfortable. Everyone's so – they're so obvious. I just felt like it was a little ironic that they're talking about how like, hey, you know, Buffy's been like sneaking off. And then they're like Willow and Xander acting like super obvious. And Willow kind of uses it to deflect and is like – I was about oh, to say, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. No, that's what made me mad too. Yep. I was like – so you're feeling guilty for the crappy thing you're doing. So you're trying to get everyone to like Leah started it be for mad me. At your <laughs> friend. Like I'm literally it's like five minutes in the episode and I was already pissed. I was like, okay, sick. Glad we got to start off on a good note. Like it's just annoying. It's like, hmm, I'm mm-hmm. doing a really crappy thing. Let's make everyone hate my best friend instead. Like, that is a theme. That's uh, literally a theme. Yep. That's this episode. Yep. In a nutshell, yes, Leah said, okay, cool, wrap it up, we're good. I'm starting it now. Then Willow has no backbone because as soon as Buffy asks her, like a good human being that she is, like, how mad are you, like, at me? And she's like, oh, zero. It's because if anyone were to ever come up to her and just, like, straight up ask her, she's going to, like, minimize it. But it's like she can mm-hmm. deflect and she can get mad and like expect everyone to fall at her feet every time something inconvenient happens in her life. But then it's like, oh, let's exploit Buffy's feelings and exploit Buffy's like personal life just so that everyone will get off my back and that I won't feel as guilty. It's such a crappy thing to do. I'm sorry. Like even though maybe Buffy is being a little bit like weird, you're purposely bringing up something like that just so they could talk about it. And they won't be talking about you. Yeah. Yeah. I have more words, but I will save it for yeah, later. Sorry. I just could not stop. No, you're fine. All right. And then Faith comes up <laughs> and she's like, I'm not seeing someone, but I'm going out with someone tonight as a matter of fact. And then they cut to the graveyard. And I love this synchronized this fight is a good scene. scene. It's so good. Like they're just like they're fighting like in sync with like two different vampires at the same time. And then Giles is just sitting on her like – 
a gravestone with his knees crossed. Giles cracks me up. He's just like, oh, whatever. They both stake at the same time, which was really cool. They give each other a high five. I was like, oh, like bestie slayers. We never get to see that, which is fun. It's also nice to have Faith on screen a little bit more this episode. Well, I was just going to say, I think it's really interesting that like they wanted to start out the episode showing Buffy and Faith really buddy-buddy mm-hmm. um, <laughs> to contrast like how they are towards the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, which I just thought was really, really interesting. And I mean, I I love Faith as a character. I think she's so interesting and so fascinating. And I feel like we're just starting to touch the tip of the iceberg with her. And so it's like, this episode is just very interesting. Like you really, I feel like, get to know a lot of Faith. The script talks about the scene. It says, We see what Giles sees, two separate and distinct fighting styles in action. Buffy uses her attacker's momentum against him. Rolls comes up on top. Faith just shoves her vamp off her. The two slayer slash vampire opponents square off. Buffy lets her vamp make the first move. He lunges. She ducks under him and comes up with a well-practiced combination of roundhouse kicks. Faith takes the fight to her guy, barraging him with a series of crude hard shots to the head. So it's like shows how they both use their different unique styles and then end up in the Mm. same place at the end. It's just – it's very clever. There's actually a lot of like subtle metaphors and fighting between both of them in this episode. And we'll talk about them when they pop up. But there's a lot of stuff in this episode, small things, that really kind of give more context, especially later on, to like Faith and Buffy and other characters that I didn't notice before. And so I'm excited to talk about them. There's a lot though. So – Hopefully, I won't forget all of them, but um, some of them I was like, oh, that's really interesting, and I'm curious what you guys think about it. And then, dun, 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 we meet Gwendolyn Pist. Every time I say her name, I always want to speak in her British accent. She calls it sloppy when referring to their technique. I feel like a lot of shows, especially older shows, I really – whenever there's like a quote-unquote twist with a character, I really see it coming. But I remember the first time I watched this with Gwendolyn Post, and I really wholeheartedly believe that she was just an uptight watcher. Like, they, when they add that twist ending, and we'll talk about it when we get there, but, like, they did a really good job of making you believe her character. Like, you really hate her. I think the reason why we think that she's normal, because uh, I agree with you, Leah, is because she comes in acting like she knows what she's doing, and you think that you're going to hate her in a watcher position you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like and then she Mm -hmm. has a whole heart to heart with faith and you're like okay i feel like i would kind of see it coming if she came in and she was supposed to be a a likable character but the actor played them kind of sus you know what i mean i feel like when she came in and she played it the certain way that she did and she was supposed to have a certain role as like that watcher that's kind of like a hard ass for lack of a better word then you're like you kind of think she's going to stick around. Yeah. A lot of the reviews and people that I was reading about, a lot of them did not see Gwendolyn Post coming. Um, she's actually, I think, one of the more solid villains we've had this season, other than Mr. Trick. My only gripe with her is I think she should have been around a couple of episodes. Yeah. I think that it would have been really cool to mm-hmm. watch her kind of – because she's so good with the rest of the, the group, like the way she manipulates mm-hmm. and turns them all against each other. It's a little – unbelievable for me that Faith latches onto her so fast and believes Mm. her, especially – I know Faith's like hurt over Buffy and we'll talk about it, but it felt like Faith kind of was so quick to 
listen to her and to be willing to be underneath her. And I think it would have been kind of cool if Gwendolyn Post had been in for at least maybe two episodes. And then all of a sudden we had this switch where it was like, oh my gosh, like here she is and she's the villain. Um, I think that would have, it was kind of a missed opportunity, but she's just, she's absolutely fantastic. I definitely agree that she should have been in longer, but I, I disagree with the fact that it doesn't make sense that Faith latches on. I was about to say, yep. I actually think it makes so much sense because we've been kind of seeing how Faith is feeling a little neglected by the the Hmm. group, by Giles, by Buffy. And so I think that there was a very huge opening for her to kind of be sensitive in that area. Not to mention, we know she has issues with past like watchers and stuff. And so it's like, I think that it made a lot of sense the way that Faith reacts. I guess it makes sense. I think it would have been just maybe a smidge more believable yeah. if she'd been in, and it just would have been really interesting. And I think one of the best aspects of Gwendolyn Post is her manipulation tactics. Mm-hmm. She's very good. And it's funny because I think she manipulates the audience too. Like we genuinely believe that she's a watcher in good standing at least. Um, Gwendolyn Post is played by Serena Scott Thomas who is the younger sister of actress Kristen Scott Thomas, the niece of Admiral Sir Richard Thomas, who was a black rod in the House of Lords, and a great-great-niece of Captain Scott, the ill-fated explorer who lost the race to the South Pole. She is most well-known for playing a Bond girl in The World Is Not Enough. She played Dr. Molly Warmflash. Oh, interesting. I've never seen one Bond movie, but that sounds cool. You should. Me either. Some of them are good. Not all of them, but some of them but are that's good. That's the – anything that has like over decades of just like so many, It it's daunting to like watch any of them because you're like, I don't know which one to watch. I don't know which Bond to watch. I like – I don't know. There's very little continuity between them except for the most recent ones. So really you could just pick up one and watch it and it's – yeah. I love how Buffy and Faith mirror each other in a lot of the earlier parts of the episode, like you have both Buffy and Faith sitting next to each other and they're sitting in almost the exact same position. And I think like we're slowly starting to see them both bond and really um, mesh as slayers. And it's a bummer that their relationship is fractured, at least at the end of this episode, because I feel like they are extremely powerful dynamic. I love when TV shows can start a conversation in one scene and then you hear like a talk over the continuing the conversation in a second scene. And I love that they do it with this one because Faith kind of goes on to say that she has a problem with authority, that she doesn't need to watch her. Um, and then, oh my gosh, Gwendolyn starts like demeaning like Giles' library. She drills him about like his books and like quizzes him on it. I'm like, girly, who do you think you are? That's so mean. Yeah. Well, she's intentionally undermining his confidence. If there's one thing I have to give to like the show, it is that it knows how to make people that just get under your mm-hmm. skin. Mm-hmm. Everything she does, Pat. I'm just like, someone <laughs> shut her up. Yeah. Like, this is Pat 2.0. Again, yeah, Deadman's literally. Party 2.0. <laughs> yeah, but Pat is like, we all know Pat. So I was like, oh my gosh, you're triggering. Whereas like Gwendolyn Post is written well and all of her like little subtle manipulation tactics and gaslighting is that's a little rough but then it's also she's a watcher and she knows what she's saying and she knows what she's doing so you're sitting here being like i don't really think that's okay necessarily to do but you're not sitting there being like 
hello, is your brain leaking? Like, why would you say that, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of crazy because as the episode progresses, you come to realize that Gwendolyn posted a lot of freaking homework on the Scoobies before oh, she came. Yeah. She knows the right buttons to push. I mean, even Faith telling her, hey, like, I don't need a new watcher. No offense, lady. I just have this problem with authority figures. And then for Gwendolyn Post to manipulate that and you have that whole mm-hmm. thing in the in the motel. Mm-hmm. It's just very painful to watch because I think especially Faith is very vulnerable. See, th- that's one of the only situations where I I think it's a missed opportunity because if she had been around for longer, yeah, then she yeah. could have really been a catapult to like Faith kind of like getting angry at the response of like Angel or the injustice and wanting to prove herself. But it was just like I totally – I don't think it's like um, out of her character to kind of cling to Gwen, but I think that it could have been so much more impactful if she had been around for a couple episodes. And then she says Giles is a little bit too American. Giles is like me and everyone's like him. <laughs> I know. But that also – I'm i confused about this. Is every watcher British? And if they are, the that doesn't in, really in, make uh, sense. England. I know it is, but like do they not like have like – out of state or out of country like watchers because that also just doesn't make sense because it's like was it kendra's watcher technically like from her like village his name was sam zabuto so i'm he sounds ethnic i'm gonna say he probably was from her village um so it's quite possible but my guess is for the slayers in america or in like the western culture where it's not tradition or cultural to go send your child when they're younger, they probably assign watchers to them instead of having people send their children to the watchers. And so the assigned watchers are probably their handpicked ones from England because, you know, maybe they're more easily controlled or something. Well, it could have been possible too that like uh, that guy Sam was sent over to train and then came back. But then it's also like, what are the odds that like this lair was called within that year there's a lot of questions. There's a lot. Yeah, there's have. a lot. Also, like, what the heck? Why didn't the Watchers Council let Giles know that Gwendolyn Post is coming? It just seems so weird. Like, Giles is literally watching both of the Slayers. Like, both of the Slayers. Mm-hmm. And they don't let him know. Like, it's just, there's, it's so weird. I just think it's funny how there's this running joke that, like, the council literally leaves Giles out of everything. But it's like, <laughs> he's the only Watcher to the only Slayers. <laughs> Yeah. What is the council doing without him? Like, yeah, he's the only one so technically funny. with a job. So, like, what I the know, heck? But it's just so funny because he's like, they swear that there was a memo. I'm like, you are literally the only person who should be getting the memos. Like, yeah. that doesn't even make sense. Like, it's just so funny. To leave it's him out of funny. the retreats. They don't talk to I him. I know. What the heck? What What are they all retreating from? Like, they're like, oh, this is so hard sending out memos to Giles who's doing all the work. <laughs> Um, like Giles as like the only sole watcher of two slayers is so relaxed half the time. I really think about it. And he's so trusting of Buffy. She'll be like, yeah, oh, I don't really need to go and patrol tonight. He's like, oh, okay, if you feel like you, you know, need to do this, that's fine. He was a little bit harder in the first season because she's like a brand new slayer. He's a brand new watcher. But it's like, yeah. he's very relaxed. Like even when they're fighting, he's like, oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, on the back. He's very calm Mm -hmm. for having vampires surrounding him. He's just – he has complete trust, which (laughs) like you said, the first season, I think even the first half of season two, he was not as trusting. I think that we have seen Giles grow a lot in his trust of Buffy, which is kind of cool. I will say though, like, you know, Faith's 
excuse me, Mary Poppins, you're not listening, cracked me up. <laughs> Faith actually had me dying. Faith and Giles in this episode were so funny because like Faith was just like, yeah, you know, I have authority issues. Like, uh, or like she's she was just very have, like, just up front. She just was very much like, I am who I am. And it's so funny. There are some certain episodes in the show where like, I can really tell that the specific actors are just really hit their stride of, um, how do I say this in a way? They um, understand their character. They understand their character, but they, they play their character really natural. Like, I really believe that she's faith in this episode. Yeah, Giles is comment right here where he says, now faith that the council feels you need to closer observations. Well, of course, we'll all cooperate. It's This is this is really interesting to me because again, like we've talked about how like a theme is authority in this, in this season. And this is like where that really comes to head and, or at least not necessarily authority in general, but it's all like the coming out of authority and learning to stand on your own and putting off of like bad toxic authority. This is really interesting because I feel like Giles still kind of wrestles with doing what the council wants unquestioningly. Like he is like, oh yeah, the council didn't invite me to the retreat. Oh, whatever. I'm still going to like, you know, unwaveringly follow them. Oh, by the end of the episode, he's like, man, they said they forgot to send me an, a memo. Ah, well that that's, you know, that's understandable. Like he kind of moves on. It's interesting that he isn't sitting there going, Okay, why is the council like more involved? Why are we kind of pretty much on our own over here? Why are they sending Bummy Watcher or like they didn't, I guess, send Gwendolyn Post? But you know, like, why are they not looking out for us more? It's just very interesting how he kind of follows them unquestioningly. And it's like, maybe they should be questioned a little bit, you know? I was, I was about to say this episode definitely gave me the vibes of like, what is the Watcher's Council doing? They obviously are not involved enough. Like, yeah, clearly. This is how I imagine the the Watchers Council. Okay, <laughs> all right. So this is all right, I'm ready. They don't do any work, but they all just like one by one drop a book about how to be the best watcher, even though none of them <laughs> have ever been a watcher. And then they're all like applauding each other. They all have lunch parties together. They all are like, "Yay, here, here!" And then they all like, you know, sell it to like <laughs> swap biographies. Yeah, exactly. And, yes. <laughs> and then they sit there, you know, and they're they're British little like huts and then have like tea and then talk about all the tactics they can use even though they don't even talk to Giles because it's like realistically what are they going to talk about other than just like how to train better and how to exactly. how to train like watchers and such and such but and gain control anyway okay so we find out that Gwendolyn Post is trying to find or like track down the glove of Minigon and a demon called Lagos Lagos yeah um, and so she tells Faith to come with her, kind of whip her into shape. And then as soon as she leaves, he's like, that was bracing. And Buffy's like, interesting lady. Can we kill her? <laughs> it's funny because in the script, when Miss Post says, Faith, sit up straight and pay attention. It says, Faith, surprised, does exactly as she's told. Giles urgently motions for Buffy to do the same, but she just throws him a look. <laughs> <laughs> I love Buffy. That's so funny. <laughs> Dang, I wish we'd gotten that. That'd be funny. I know. That would have been really funny. <laughs> I feel like, although that's funny, I feel like it, it wouldn't really make sense for Giles' character. I don't think he'd care enough to do that. I mean, yes, but I get the feeling that Giles is, in a sense, kind of performing for Miss Post. Like, I got vibes throughout the episode where he's really trying to uh, look good in front of her, which, I mean, I'm not faulting him for this because I 100% understand someone comes in 
who, who can do the job as well as you can and is like, oh, I'm actually here to report on you. And I mean, that's actually a really brilliant tactic on her end to say that because it throws him off edge because he thinks that he's being evaluated. So he's not going to evaluate her too closely. He's going to be so busy thinking about how right. he appears to her. Which is smart on her end. It's so smart, so clever. But it feels like for the rest of the episode, some of the decisions he makes later on, it feels like is because of the pressure that he's put under and because he wants – Buffy is a reflection of him. I think you all know what I, where I'm going with this, but we will we'll talk about it. And then this whole Tai Chi interaction oh, look, with Buffy Angel. Oh, look. Angel shirtless again. <laughs> Sarah, stop blaming them. We want to see it. <laughs> if you keep sure, it will stop happening. Sorry. It's really interesting, though, that they're actually doing Tai Chi together because the episode before, you know, he's doing it by himself. I love the little subtle ways that they're showing them getting closer mm-hmm. and closer together. Yep. And then they accidentally touch hands, even though he's like clearly putting, stretching that out his like, arms like super far away. He's like, <laughs> I don't think that was an accident. <laughs> he's like reaching it over. <laughs> he's like, oh, snap, your hand just happened to be right there. Yep. This whole like, we're friends, but not friends. Will they, won't they thing, even though they had this like huge romance the year before. And you're like, come on, guys. We all know you're in love. You're the Enough big love of the your life. Burn. Like we, yes. you don't have to sit here and act like it's not going to happen. Did you guys notice a lot of the metaphors for addiction referring to their relationship in this episode? Mm-hmm. It's been this entire season. It has been that. Like I mean, recovery. Was that mm-hmm. she yes. talks about? She's like breaking an old habit. She asked, "Do you think they would make a patch for this?" You kind of see her like recoil into being really closer with them. It's kind of like dancing with the devil. Her being like toiling with it, but not really giving into it. And so they're both like, "Okay, real fast." Um, this is from "Bite Me" by Nikki Stafford. Tai Chi is an ancient Chinese form of self-defense that, in the 20th century, became popular as a relaxation technique. It is appropriate that Angel's use for it stresses mental focus, the alignment of the body with the spirit or soul and mind, and harmony between the self and the world around it. The technique is as much a philosophy as physical exercise and follows the tenets of Taoism, the most appropriate being the hard and strong will fall, aka Angelus, slash the soft and weak will overcome, which is Angel, in the sense that he's more powerful with his mind than with his fists, Um, which I don't fully agree with her analysis of it, but I think it is interesting that this is his choice of meditation. I did, okay, so I wanted to ask you what you guys think about Buffy and Angel specifically. It feels like how David Boreanaz is playing Angel or even just maybe how Joss wants Angel to be played. It feels like Angel is kind of like wanting to start the relationship again. I feel like he's the one making the moves and he's the one that's kind of like, you know, asking the questions about, you know, how Scott, how's like all this stuff. I'm assuming he knows that Scott's out of the picture at this point because I don't see Angel making a move if he knew that Bobby had a boyfriend. Um, It's funny how Scott's just kind of like disappeared. But I'm – I see Buffy kind of being the one that's like very hesitant and maybe that's because she's the one that actually kind of lived everything. But it's really interesting that Angel seems to be kind of like – like he asks her, what are we doing? And you you can sense like the frustration of like, 
why are you stopping? Like, why, why don't we just be in a relationship again? And I think it's because for Angel, like he hasn't moved on. And even though Buffy technically hasn't, I feel like her world is so full. And the only thing that Angel has is Buffy right now that there's this sense of like, he wants to be with her and that's all he can think about. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? I agree. And I disagree. I think the more so what I get out of it is Angel being like, why Why are you here? Why are you doing all this stuff for me? Like almost tempting me and then coming here and like, he's like, I, like you know I want to kiss you. You know I want to be with you and all this stuff. And yet you come here, but then you like leave and stuff. So I think it's his, it's not so much of a thing of like, why aren't we dating? It's like, why are we in this in between? It's like either choose sure. to be out of my life or sure. in it. And I think that that's where his frustration is coming from because, like, of course he wants to date her. He literally fought through hell for her. Right. Um, But I think his confusion is just, like, this is so hard and confusing and I don't know where we stand. I don't know what we are. And I think that Buffy's thing is, like, she's, like, I understand. She's, like, but I just can't give you up. It's also really interesting that he knows what Lagos is. Like, he's the one that starts the living flame. He knows how to do it. Like, whereas, like, Giles and the rest have to actually, like, consult a book. Like, Giles or Angel just knows it off the top of his head. Um, It's just very interesting. Like, we don't actually, like, come to find out how Angel knows this information or how Angel even knows which crypt to look for. And it it makes me wonder, like, if Angelus had that information and why Angelus himself didn't try to go get the glove of Minigon if it's been there this entire time. I don't know. It's just interesting. Sometimes I think... The showrunners just kind of shoehorn stuff into the episode without thinking about like last. Oh, they totally do. Yeah, because I'm like, hmm, if this one glove could like control everything, then maybe Angelus or Spike would have like found it, or if it was like infamous, and why didn't they hear about it? And be like, hmm, everything is always in Sunnydale too. Why can't they ever just like travel an hour out? It's always yeah, in it's Sunnydale. So <laughs> It's like this tiny little town in the middle of nowhere, and it's like this old guy from long, long ago decided to be buried here with this artifact, and you're like, okay. The only time where I was like, okay, I'll give you credit, at least this one's a little bit different, is like the judge or whatever, because all this stuff was mailed in from different parts of the world, and then he had to put it together, and you're like, okay, period. This is something a little bit different, but everything else is like, here, we found this huge like coffin of this like important, like, you know, mummy. And it's in yeah. Sunnydale, the Sunnydale Museum. And you're like, what the? Oh, how? So poor Giles is like been researching. He looks like he's like, oh my gosh, if I don't find Lagos or Minigon, this woman's going to like rip my throat <laughs> out. I'm going to get fired. No, seriously. Um, and then Will and Xander looks like they've been helping him research for hours. He tells them to go up to the stacks to read. They go up there. I'm just going to zoom past it. Willow has a headache. Wait, before, before you zoom past, oh, no. I did want to say – No, no, no. Don't worry. I'm not talking about that. I, I was just going to say that I, I think it's funny that um, Xander kind of has this moment where he claps at Giles and is like, well, I'm not your slayer, blah, 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 blah. And Giles is like, then don't be here. Like if you don't want to help, <laughs> if you don't want to do all this, then leave. Like yeah. it's like, yeah, of course. Like he doesn't have to be there. Like Giles doesn't have to like yell at him and all this stuff, but it's also like – it's either choose to be here and help and help the team or just leave. Like, and I love how Giles is like at that point where he's like, I already have another watcher to deal with. I don't want to deal with you too, Xander. It's implied that that Giles is 
running them a little bit harder than normal. I mean, because Will is normally like all about the research and the fact that she was like, my eyes are blurry. I'm tired. I have a headache. You can tell that Giles is low key. Well, maybe not even low key. <laughs> Giles is stressed about what's going on. I didn't even pick that up because I don't think we've ever even seen them like this sluggish. Yeah. The fact that guilt motivates everything that Xander and Willow do in this episode is very key. And I have to remember that as I'm watching them lash out because Xander literally goes, oh, I'll go stake out this crypt for you because he's feeling guilty and trying to get away from Willow. And yeah. And then we have this whole dialogue with um, Buffy and Faith. Well, Faith is talking about like her past exes. Um, This is giving me very much like – um. Beauty and the Beast, where it's like all men are beasts sort of conversation. Yes. And it's like, yeah. it, it's interesting because she's sitting there giving so much information, which is interesting for Faith. And then she says, now it's strictly get some, get gone. You can't trust guys. And Buffy's just like, you can trust some guys. And then she kind of brings up like Angel again. It's like, girl, like, I feel like if I'm in a conversation with a friend and they're talking about past relationships, and if I've gone through something similar, I can kind of feel if somebody's like willing to open up about their past relationships if they're like like nodding or agreeing with me throughout. But Buffy's just kind of sitting there listening. She's very kind. She's like, you know, like like with Angel is was complicated and she's not ready to talk about it. And to Faith's credit, she does like leave it alone. See, I kind of get the vibes that Buffy and Faith are close at this point. They have been like patrolling together, having conversations. And because we've seen them at the beginning of the episode, so close, high-fiving, all this stuff, I feel like Faith feels like, hey, we can actually have this conversation. They've had conversations that are similar. So I actually feel like Buffy is blowing off Faith. I feel like Buffy is incredibly distracted. And again, we're using the metaphor of addiction here. Buffy's like, I need to go get my fix. Like She's just thinking about about Angel. And so Faith is incredibly hurt in this moment because she was opening up to Buffy and Buffy kind of was like, eh, no. And then Faith's like, oh, I thought like we were opening up with each other and stuff. And so I, this conversation is what kind of spearheads Faith's motivations for killing Angel later on in the episode is because she kind of is taking out her angst and frustration on Buffy. So I'm not saying Faith was right in acting out on her hurt. I think it was valid for her to be hurt. And I also think that Buffy's valid to be distracted as well. They just weren't meshing. But I do understand. I guess I understand on Faith's end because I've been the person that's like, hey, I want to open. Let's talk about things. And then it's like, eh, no. And then I get shut down. And it's like, I don't know. It's a special kind of hurt, if that makes sense. I also just view it in a way as like, Faith doesn't really comprehend what Buffy has been through with Angel. I mean, who really could? And so I think that when she does hear about that Angel's back and stuff, I think it's like Faith as a friend also understands that Buffy has been so hurt by this guy. And so she's thinking, oh, a way that I can protect my friend is just taking him out of the equation. Well, and we also have to remember too, like in Faith, Hope, and Trick, like Faith brought up Angel to Buffy again. It was more supposed to be like a, hey, why aren't you over him kind of thing. But they've it's been implied that they've had conversations before. So I get the feeling that Buffy is just not talked about Angel to Faith at all, which is completely valid, completely understandable. But I think Faith is kind of like, open up. Like, I want to be closer. I want to be friends. And so I think, unfortunately, by the end of the episode, Faith's like, I guess you just don't want to be. I guess I can only just trust myself, you know? It's funny how one scene can have very different 
like understandings for different people because I don't know if I necessarily see that. If we're talking about like the whole metaphor of like addiction, I view it as not Buffy being cold. I view it as Buffy not wanting to admit that she's enticed by Angel again. Um, hmm. And so she doesn't want to openly talk about Angel because then she'd have to face the music. And so I think the conversation was kind of triggering for her, i.e. her going to see Angel afterwards. You know, like if, yeah. if you're like really struggling with something, but you have not like said it out loud, you can still live in denial of it, especially since her and Angel haven't kissed yet. And so I think her having to talk about Angel I think would be a little bit too much for her. And then in her mind would kind of solidify a lot of like her desiring him and like wanting a relationship with him. And so I think, I think that's why she was like, while she was talking about it being like, Oh, I don't want to talk about it in her brain. She was like, since her mind is on angel, she was, and the topic of especially angel and Buffy in a past relationship then she wanted to and go sleeping see together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and I agree with that. And I think I, I totally I think it can be both of those things. I think that could be what's going on in Buffy's mind. And Faith's over there thinking Buffy's just shutting me down. Sure. Um, Faith's like, hey, like, why, why won't you relate with me? Because for Faith, it's all in the past. She's like, oh, Angel's not back. But for Buffy, it's very much in the present. So again, I'm not necessarily saying anybody is at fault. It's just it's kind of an unfortunate situation where if maybe Buffy had been open with Faith. Faith might have even understood. And so I think this is the show trying to give Buffy many different opportunities to actually have this conversation with someone and she's choosing not to. Yeah, I agree. I think it's hard too because it's like part of you wants to be like, like Buffy, open up, open up. Like it's time to talk about it. But then another part of you also understands and has seen the way that people have reacted. Yeah. And so it's like you really – I'm not – it's hard for me to say whether Buffy was right or wrong to hide it or like not tell the truth. I think the only person you can make a really valid case for is Giles. I do think she should have told Giles, but it's just it's oh, it's hard. It's a hard way to like go about it. So Sarah just informed me um off the <laughs> off the mic that this demon that we see Faith fight is Lagos. I don't know how I didn't put that together cuz I always thought he was he was a bit um strong and massive. I forget he's in the mm-hmm. episode, but I think he's there briefly just to throw the attention off of Gwendolyn Post. Why do you think they chose to have Faith be kicked in the butt by Lagos and then him leave off and her looking worried and defeated? But then like when Buffy fights him, she immediately like beheads him. Well, and I think they intentionally bring Lagos in to verify or to validate Gwendolyn Post in Faith's mind. Because after this, we have that conversation between Mrs. Post and Faith where she's like, you know, you should really trust me, all this other stuff. And Faith's like, you've proven to be trustworthy because I have met Lagos and he is indeed mm, very formidable. True. And so it is further confirmation to Faith that Gwendolyn Post is who she says she is and for everybody else as well, and even for us as the viewers. So that's why I think that like it's easy for us and the Scoobies to be manipulated into thinking that she's not the villain because we see Lagos and he seems like a legitimate threat. That's true. Um, and so Faith isn't able to defeat him. He kind of sashays away. And then we see <laughs> Xander <sighs> walking in the graveyard. Oh. 
Why is it always Xander? Of course it's Xander. Of course it is. Why else? Who else would it be at this point? Uh, Who else other than Xander? Why else would they do that? You know? And then Angel comes out of his mansion and it's not like a, oh, a side view of Angel. It's like, no, this is Angel. It's like a long walk. He's walking out of the crypt. There, There's like no yeah. way of trying mm-hmm. to skew it anyway. This is definitely yep. Angel. And then he kind of like follows him. And we see the garden area. I missed this. I was like, oh, the season two yeah. like Spike and Drusilla area. Yeah. It's a little weird to see Xander going down the steps that we had seen Drew, Angelus, yeah. and Spike go down many Very times. Odd. And so he kind of hides behind a pillar. And then we see a fuzzy view of a silhouette of Buffy and Angel kissing. That's a pretty cool it shot. It is a cool shot. And it's like it's very frustrating because it's like you know how hard Buffy has been trying. And it's like, <sighs> yeah. of course, the one time she slips up. And I feel like this is such a good metaphor though because I feel like this usually happens with people. Sometimes people might be like have struggling when it comes to like past addictions and they really feel like that they're getting better and then they slip up and then it's like, they get the third degree, you know? And it's like, and you feel like you can't sit there and say, but I actually am better. This was the first time in a long time because that's usually what people always say. And so I just feel bad. You're watching this and you're like, of course, this looks so much worse than it actually is because of course he runs away. And then Buffy being, you know, a person with ethical standards sits there and goes, what am I doing? Oh God. And then it's like feeling guilty about it. But then they sit there and like they're able to immediately after kissing, going and then moving into what's important, the glove. Like, And I love that they put that in the scene. It's not them just lusting over each other. They're able to think clearly immediately afterwards as like kind of like, for lack of a better word, coworkers, you know, we're able to sit there Mm -hmm. and be like, he's like, hey, I got the glove. And then they talk about it. And then they kind of make this like sandwich between like lusting business lusting again. So in season two, there was a huge underlying theme that Angel is a distraction for Buffy. And the whole concept of the back half of the season was, can Buffy do what she needs to do? Can she kill Angelus? Um, or is she just too distraught by what happened? Can she? Is, does she see Angel when she sees Angelus? You know? um, and so they're kind of playing with that here in season three. It's very much of, is Angel going to be a distraction for Buffy? And I honestly don't think he will be. I mean, I think that it shows very clearly that Buffy does what needs to be done mm-hmm. when it comes down to it and that they actually aren't a huge distraction for each other. I know that was a huge theme in season two, but I thought that they helped each other a lot. That like, yeah, there were times where, yeah, he was a bit of a distraction, but when it came down to it, like Buffy did what she had to. And so I think Buffy's also grown a ton. We've seen the past few episodes, even before Angel came back, like Buffy has really reconciled herself with her identity now. And so I think that she just needs to get to a place where I think bringing Angel out into the open is going to be a good next step because I think Buffy won't be so all consumed by keeping him a secret anymore. And hopefully that will allow them to be a little bit more measured in their um, lust or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, it's just interesting how there's just those constant comparisons when I feel like every altercation between the two of them feels very... Like, obviously, they love each other and they care deeply for each other, but I don't feel like they're out of control. Mm-hmm. Well, but it's also ironic because, I'm, I mean, we'll get there, but it's like, let's say that, you know, Buffy and Angel were like- Edging towards that line. Edging toward that line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, is that wise? No, considering you know what's going to happen. Is it 
morally and ethically wrong? No. However, you want to know who is in a morally and ethically <laughs> wrong area? Is Willow and Xander. And they're the most vocal people against Buffy in this episode. And I think that's what's frustrating is like, even if Buffy wasn't being smart and was being super lustful and passionate and just like wasn't even trying to like control herself, she's still making a more moral decision than Willow and Xander. Yeah, I think an argument could be made that Buffy playing with fire when she knows what could happen, like who Angelus could mm-hmm. turn into and like the the havoc he could wreak is possibly morally questionable. I won't say it is morally questionable, but it's possibly. It could be seen as stupid and unwise. Yes, exactly. Or like a rejection of like what Giles tells her, like a rejection of everything that she stands for as a slayer. However, you make a really good valid point, Leah. I mean, Xander and Willow are clearly mm-hmm. no better than her in this episode. In fact, worse because they have the standard for Buffy and they're accusing her of, and Buffy's not going around pointing fingers at anybody, you know? So, And then we have this interaction in, at Giles' house. So Gwen and him are talking. He he looks so happy that he found um, where Minigon is in the book. And Gwen's kind of being patronized again, being like, oh, I already know this information. Like, you should already know this. <laughs> And then she insults Giles' watcher skills and how, like, Buffy's a loose, like, quote-unquote, loose chain. Like, he doesn't have control over her. Um, and then he – this, like, perfect scene. He goes, I'm in complete control of my slayer. And then Xander comes to me and he's like, Giles, we have a big problem. It's Buffy. <sighs> of course. Xander, read the room. Come on. Okay, so one of my biggest also- beefs <laughs> – I'm just saying, like – it is so annoying to me that he sees that and doesn't immediately go, oh my gosh, let me run up to Buffy in that moment and be like, Buffy, what are you doing? And pull her aside or maybe like wait until she gets home and call her or something. His reaction is to go to Giles as if Giles is her father, like to ground her or punish her and be like, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like no one trusts Buffy's judgment. It's like clearly this isn't Angelus anymore. And it's like, yes, of course, be concerned, be worried, like bring up your concerns. But the way that it is handled is so disrespectful and so uncaring. Yeah, I agree. I was just going to say that. I think the biggest beef I have in this episode is the fact that nobody handles this respectfully with concern to Buffy. You have Xander who could have gone directly to Buffy. You have Xander who could have known that they're having like that Giles is being embarrassed by Mrs. Post. Like he's in the same room. Like he knows what's going on. He knows that Giles is agitated, but he's so like wrapped up in his own world that he's not thinking about what's going on. And so he's just reacting impulsively and irrationally. And it's so frustrating. And that leads into the next episode in the library when it's like, why why are we holding this? They call it an intervention because, you know, the whole metaphor of an addiction. It's like, why are we holding this intervention when literally no one needs to be a part of this intervention other than maybe Giles? And that's my biggest beef. Like, literally nobody needs to be here. Like, this is pointless. Yep. Okay. So my favorite scene. <laughs> I think it's like everything about it pisses me off. The fact that like Xander gets up and like 
just like gives her the chair. Okay, that chair. Why is that so irritating? It just I so, like, thought the same here. thing. I was like, like of course you want to was... be in superior high ground with Giles. No, it just was but it just was so like here, like take a seat. Buddy. He doesn't even look at her. He like he like slams it down backwards and then walks away without turning his back. I was it has like, to be so funny irritatingly condescending because otherwise I oh. will want to stop this podcast because <sighs> I'm literally my heart is raising because I'm so angry because it's not like it's just this one conversation. <laughs> Deadman's party was like one big conversation. Okay, we got it out of the way, whatever. But it's like Xanu just gets worse and worse in this episode and there's no resolution yeah, he really does and here's the thing listeners it does not bring me pleasure to go off on xander except it does it is a little therapeutic because i'm angry about it but like i'm really sick of hashing out on xander and i mean we've gotten a couple of dms of people like you're too hard on xander and stuff and i'm like his just his behavior is inexcusable. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. It's so toxic. It's it's. I understand it's human. I understand people. The show writes characters in human ways. I get it, but it's very frustrating because there seems to be no reconciliation. And I was telling Tabby and Leah before the episode even started, this whole conversation could have been avoided if they had handled everything better in Deadman's party and actually had had a productive conversation. Because I guarantee you, Buffy wouldn't have hid Angel from everybody if the conversation in Deadman's party had gone differently. Obviously, Buffy's decisions are her own, but 99% of the crap that she's getting into is because she knows the gang will not be receptive. And it's very frustrating. The only word I can think of is dehumanizing. It wasn't like, here, Buffy, like, take a seat. Like, let's talk about this. It's kind of like, you know, like if you would go to like the principal's office or something, it's not really an option whether or not you get to sit down. It's just (laughs) sit down because you're about to be lectured. That's the vibes I get. It's really interesting because in the script, they had Xander sitting down the entire time until the very end, right before him and Buffy really get into it. And I think that's interesting that Joss made the decision to have Xander standing up the entire time. I, I mean, okay, I got to give Nicholas Prennan props because the dude really knows how to play. Like, what is the right word for this? Um, uh, Raging a-hole. <laughs> exactly. Gaslighter, <laughs> sexist, uh, cheater. Polar um. rib. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, like, presumptuous, pig-headed fool who's just so arrogant, just an arrogant prick. I feel like I'm cussing right now. I'm like, yep. you're pig-headed. <laughs> but you know, he just he plays smug and arrogant and entitled, and it just. So like way I think too I would have well. preferred him being in the midst of passion and being angry rather than him acting like he has ground to to stand on, whatever that is, a leg to stand on. Like acting yeah. as if he's justified. That's what pisses me off. He's saying things with the thought of having immunity, like as if she's specifically hurt him. That's what pisses me off. Yeah, and we know that he's re- reacting to all of this having lied to Buffy back in the end of season two, but also because he's frustrated. All right. Yeah. Anyway. It's just rich. It's it's rich that he's in the midst of a cheating scandal, secret one, mind you, with someone else who's there in the same room with his girlfriend in the same room as well. Uh, and then, you know, getting mad at Buffy for kissing him once. Yes. Oh, my bad. Okay. Okay. Let's just, and, you know, what? I'm right. just going to go through 
And I'm going to yep, just read, read some of the stuff that was said. Okay. You guys can chime in whenever you feel like for certain quotes uh, because I feel okay. like some of the stuff that he says, I don't really have much else to say because it's, I just, it's gross. It's disgusting. So, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. They start out by saying, nobody's here to blame you. We're here to help, which is like textbook what you say when you're <laughs> in, having an intervention with somebody. And then Xander goes straight in with a, no, you're just harboring a vicious killer. Okay. Interesting. And then Buffy says he's better. And I always kind of view this as like as if somebody's having to sit there and explain to people, feeling defeated, being like, I have been better for a long time. I am better. Mm-hmm. I may have just slipped a little, but I'm not gone. That's how it feels. And it's hard because it's like when people have seen you go through the depths of something, and that's a huge metaphor, again, for the same sort of like people have seen you in the depths of like your addiction or like seeing the nasty things that you've done have been affected personally by that. I can understand how it could be skeptical, but it's like no one's listening to Buffy. No one's believing her. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Xander says again, better for how long? Did you even think about that, Buffy? You know, there's a better way to phrase that, Xander, mm-hmm. where you can actually listen to her. It's just like, once again, no one's I'm literally to Buffy. I'm going to withhold my comments, concerns, questions until <laughs> Complaint. the end. Yes. Complaints. Yes. Okay. Because it's literally just like, we would be here all day. We would not finish the podcast. I would literally just be here nitpicking every single yeah. sentence. So continue, okay. Tabby. And then Buffy, feeling like she's a little bit attacked, steps back a little bit. And you guys notice that she's all of a sudden like the shadows across her face and it's broad daylight. Mm-hmm. And then she says, mm-hmm. I don't need an intervention here. Mm-hmm. She's closing. Mm-hmm. She's shutting down. She's not trying. She's not trying. She was trying to explain herself. Now she's done mm-hmm. explaining she's herself. She's not seen anymore. So therefore, she's yep. not in direct sunlight, which I feel like was really intelligent for them to do. And then she mentions that she wanted to wait to tell people. Xander says, for what? For him to go psycho again once you once you give him a happy. Which is like, Xander, just because you're not getting some, can you stop? Like, it's so annoying. <laughs> Ugh, whatever. Okay. But it's also just such a dehumanizing mm-hmm. way of what happened like, between them. devaluing their beautiful experience. Like, they were two people who loved each other and who acted upon that love. And an awful thing came about it that wasn't their fault. Like, why does he have to make it such a gross and, like, just, like, just gross thing? Like, they just, they loved each other. That's all. Yeah, I think, yeah, anyway, keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Buffy says they aren't together. And then Oz speaks up for the first time. And he says, but you were kissing him, which is a fair thing to, to ask. I'm not mad at him for that. Right. And it was interesting because at first I was like, why is Oz saying that? Because I feel like normally he doesn't Mm -hmm. speak up with these kinds of things. They intentionally give Oz this sentence because who else is kissing? Mm -hmm. Who else? Mm -hmm. They want to show that that the kissing can be harmful and that it's not just innocent. That's the whole reason for this intervention as well. Yes. They're trying to highlight the hypocrisy as well between Xander and Willow. But like I understand subtlety, but at some point we just really need more than subtlety when it comes to shutting down Xander's hypocrisy. And then she looks at Xander. You were spying on me? What gives you the right? And Xander says, what gives you the right to suck – oh, and 
Cordy says, what gives you the right to suck face with your demon lover again? But it's also like, okay, I understand her harboring him from people not being honest. I can understand the hurt from that. But it's also like, it's her decision if she wants to kiss her ex. Like, Cordelia has done way worse things. And why is she speaking up on this? That Like, this argument doesn't make sense to me. Right. Well, I think, again, it's they're, they're specifically having Cordelia and Oz speak more in this argument because they're, again, trying to highlight the hypocrisy between Xander and Willow. Because if you notice in Dead Men's Party, Xander or um, Cordelia and Oz didn't really speak a whole lot. So I think they're intentionally talking about why are you – like kissing because that's what Willow mm-hmm. and Xander are doing. Because then, you know, Buffy goes, it was an accident. Xander says, what, you tripped and fell on his lips. Mm. Like. That's what's oh, happening that, with Xander no, and Willow. That one specifically made made me mad because when Willow and Xander kissed in the last episode or two episodes ago, homecoming, yeah, two episodes homecoming, ago, they the both of them said this was an accident. Yes, mm-hmm. hypocritical. <laughs> <sighs> and then she says that she knows it was wrong, that it can't happen again, and if she thought that he was going to hurt anyone, she'd and then an interruption, and here it is. Like you did last time with Miss Calendar. Okay, that is a low blow. Honestly, I'd be done. I'd be I like, wouldn't be yep, friends mm-hmm. with him after this. Like, I, I'd be done. He saw the pain that Buffy was in. He saw it firsthand what was going on. Like, it's just, also not her fault that Angela's killed Miss Calendar. Are we allowed to say that? Can I say that? But it's also like when I remember us specifically talking about this, how Buffy was the one who was the most concerned about Angelus. I wrote this down too. No one else was. Yes. Not even Giles. Giles was like, yes. it's fine. Just lock your doors. Blah, 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 blah. Whereas like Buffy was like, I'm legitimately terrified. I don't know what he's going to do. And no one listened to her. Yep. Like, yep. she was the one who took it seriously. Yep. No one else. That's what I wrote too. No one thought Angelus was that big of a threat. I think what Xander is talking about is in innocence. He's like, well, why didn't you stop him then? Because that would have prevented, you know. But again, nobody's taking into account how deeply Buffy loved Angel. I think everyone forgets that. I think they I think they're all just assuming this is just some sort of weird fling, which makes me go, okay, are they actually really good friends with Buffy? Like what kind of selfish friends are you if you don't even like recognize the deep the depth of the emotions of the friend that you're claiming to be close to? Like it just doesn't make sense. Okay, and then Willow. Buffy, but when it comes to Angel, you can't see straight. That's why we're all going to help you face this. And I put, what the heck gave them that impression? Mm-hmm. She's done everything that she's needed to. She's killed him. Like who says that she can't think straight? Like are they referring to her running off to LA and Anne? Oh, are we back there again? Have we not hashed that out Other yet? Other than Giles, like, has anyone uh, ever really had a heart-to-heart with Buffy and seen where she's at mentally after killing her boyfriend? Um, Have we just glossed over that? Killing her boyfriend for the sake of the world. And when he was Angel, not Angelus. Yeah. It's a whole it's other a whole level. Other level. Yep. And yet you're sitting here saying she can't think straight. 
She was going to kill him whether or not he I was just, Angelus or Angel, and she proved that. Yeah. I just feel like the Scoobies are, have been really crappy mm-hmm. friends this season. Were they this bad in season two? I feel like they no. were not this bad. It's just been like a whole other level of like – like honestly, I would stop being friends with them with them at this point. I'd remove myself. I'd be like, you guys are toxic. Oh, absolutely. Like, you can leave the library and like I'm going to just slay with Faith and Giles. Like – and Gwendolyn Post. And Oz. Yeah, Oz can stay. Everybody else can leave. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then this one, like, where she talks about how, like, you know, Angel found the glove of Minigon. And then Xander's, like, oh, and this is the part where he's supposed to stand in the script. It says, Xander stands. He's had enough. Oh, really, Xander? And he says, right, good plan. Leaves tons of firepower with the scary guy. And leave us to clean up the and mess. Buffy's- so what? there it is. Oh, it's like, Xander, first of all, you have not cleaned up any mess ever. Buffy cleans up the mess every single time. Mm -hmm. Buffy cleans up the messes that she creates, that you create, that everyone creates. Buffy, Mm -hmm. no one else. Uh And last time, Buffy cleaned up the mess he created with Angel. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, oh my gosh. And then Buffy held it together really well. And then you see her body language shift and she looks at Xander Mm -hmm. and she's like, you would just love an excuse to hurt him again, wouldn't you? Fair, fair, fair. Then Xander says, I wish she would have hit him. <laughs> literally, Xander says, I don't need an excuse. I think lots of dead people constitutes as a reason. And then she says, Right, this has nothing to do with jealousy. And then Cordy and my girl, sh- stop. You know, girl, you know, you know, his attention's not all on you. Cordy goes, Hello, Miss Not Over Herself Yet. And then Buffy goes, Don't start with me. What do you guys think about this interaction? I think, again, it's highlighting the fact that Cordelia thinks that Xander is loyal. I think they're trying to show – I think this is jealousy on – I think this is jealousy on Xander's part, but also more than that, I think this is guilt. And Cordelia does not know that. And so she's sticking up for him not knowing that he is, in fact, cheating on her and has feelings for somebody else. Like, Yep. And then Giles comes in and says, Buffy knows our – concerns her actions no matter how ill-advised or understood our priority is the glove of minigon and then everyone kind of scatters out which i was like Mm -hmm. okay good that was well done buffy follows giles into his office she says thank you for saving me back there he cuts her off and says be quiet i won't remind you that the fate of the world lies with the slayer Nor do I need to remind you that the fate of those around you is being jeopardized by harboring a known murderer. But sadly, I must remind you that Angel tortured me for hours. For pleasure. You should have told me that he was alive and you didn't. You have no respect for me or the job I perform. Yikes. Yeah, that that that's pretty cutting. I feel like that's almost more cutting than what Xander said because it's coming from Giles. I will say, do I think that Giles is harsh. Yes. Do I think he means everything he says? No. However, I think that Giles is a little justified Mm -hmm. in being frustrated and Mm -hmm. angry and saying what he says. I love the fact that he stands there quietly and is kind to her in front of people. And even when he reprimands her, he still is kind and loving. I still respect Giles. Do I think he's a little harsh? Yeah, of course. But I think that out of everyone, he has a right to be frustrated. He has a right to react a little bit harshly. Here's the thing. I don't think he's harsh. 
I think that what he's saying is something different than what is coming out of his mouth. I think when he says you have no respect for me or the job I perform, what he's saying is you are acting like you don't respect me and the job I perform based on what you have been doing. Your actions show me that you have no respect for me. I don't think he actually thinks that. I think that he's looking at the facts. He's looking at the fact that she didn't tell him about Angel, and that's a lack of respect. Yeah. I think there's a couple different things happening here. I think first and foremost, I think Giles is a little hurt because I think he has a relationship with Buffy and I think he felt like she could have come to him. I think her not coming to him hurts him on a personal level. On the second level, I think Giles continues to see Angel as culpable for Jenny's murder. Like he talks about how Angel tortured me, not Angelus. And so I think Giles is speaking emotionally because of his grief of Jenny. And also Giles hasn't really had to think very much about it. I thought this, I I read this, I thought this was a really good point. Giles dealt with Jenny's death, but I don't think he actually really dealt with the fact that Angel killed or Angelus killed him because in his mind, Angel was gone. He doesn't have to really worry about that. But the fact that Angel's now back, I think Giles is going to have to kind of like address his thoughts and his feelings on that matter. And so it's kind of like ripping open that wound that he like was healing. And then unfortunately, I think there's another layer here as well. Giles is embarrassed by Buffy. By Buffy, not by Buffy, but by Buffy's actions because of how they reflect on him through Gwendolyn Post. And so I think there's a whole level of Giles is harshly. Yeah, I think he's being a little extra harsh because I think he's a little embarrassed because Buffy embarrassed him in front of Gwendolyn Post. I mean, technically it was Xander, but you know. So I think that there's a level of Giles is feeling the added pressure of being evaluated by Gwendolyn Post and is is having to remind himself, oh hey, I'm a watcher. And oh my goodness, this could affect my job. This could affect all this other stuff. So I think it's like multifaceted, multi-layered here. And so I think this is this is poignant, but I struggle a little bit with this speech, not because it's not fully justified, but because I feel like Giles is not speaking fully rationally here either. I feel like he's also speaking from anger because she made him look bad, which I feel like is never a good thing. I could definitely see that. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I don't know if I necessarily disagree with that. I've never really thought about it. I will say, yeah, that's fine. I will say, I he would have been justified. And you guys can disagree. He would have been justified to bring up Jenny in a certain way in this conversation, not necessarily weaponizing it against her, but using it as an example of who Angel could be, if that makes sense. But he didn't, and Xander brought it up as a weapon against her, and it's like, guys. Who's the person that should be able to bring up Jenny? Giles. Sure. sure. I think it's interesting he didn't bring up Jenny. Well, he did say you're housing a known murderer. Yes, but he also murdered probably dozens and dozens of people as well. You know? Well, that we saw on – yeah, on camera. But, I mean, if Giles is saying that, we're assuming it's going to be Jenny simply because that's what like hits closest to home. It is, I will say, it's admirable of Giles that he says this to her yes. privately and doesn't lambast uh-huh. her in front of everybody else. I think that speaks to Giles's maturity. Um, 
But it's also hard because this is the reason why Buffy didn't tell them about Angel is because of their reaction mm-hmm. right here. So it's like – it's just like it's a it's a cycle. It's like, okay, so the next time something happens, Buffy's not going to tell them about that because she's going to remember what happened the last time. So yeah, Ooh, it's frustrating. Yep. It's, it's just very frustrating. And then I think it's interesting they paralleled this conversation with Gwendolyn and Faith in the hotel. Mm-hmm. So in this next scene, Gwen comes and – and Faith is about to attack her. She makes this funny joke about how like vampires rarely attack during the day. Um, and then she has this whole like sweet, like she starts telling a story about, I don't remember who she's talking about. And then, Spartans. And then she says, a true fighter needs nothing else. Kind of like affirming her being like, it's okay you live yeah, in a hotel. Right? This isn't who you are. Who you are is a fighter. Who you are is a hero. And it's like you see her as soon as she say that. You see uh, Eliza Deshku in this whole scene is just so well done. That girl just really gave it all in the scene in very subtle ways. Like it's all in her eyes. And then she sits there and has this dialogue and it, it just – it hurts me a little bit. I didn't even realize how deep this conversation was and then watching it, I was like, oh, sad. I'm not going to go easy on you, Faith. You probably will hate me a good deal of the time. I will make you a better slayer and I will keep you alive. And you see Faith kind of respect mm-hmm. that. She's saying there being like, you know what? Mm-hmm. As long as I know what to expect, then she can, you know, prepare for that. Which is admirable if, you know, if you're not like a murderer, but like it would be admirable <laughs> if someone were to be like, hey, these are expectations. You probably will be annoyed. You probably will be exhausted, but just know that I'm looking out for you and like this is for your best interest. Well, and it's so hard because I actually think that if this lady was like a real like watcher and actually cared about Faith, that Faith really could thrive under someone Mm -hmm. like that. Someone who's fully dedicated to her, someone who fully is like, here are the expectations and I know you can reach them. Yeah. I think Faith would really thrive. It's just, she just, I feel bad. She keeps getting like the short end of the stick. Yeah, I was actually going to say that, Leah. I was like, if Gwendolyn Post wasn't evil, she would have been the perfect person for Faith, which is, I mean, that's why she was written. (laughs) And then her, like, I got to applaud her, like, manipulation tactics, because then she kind of, like, (laughs) subtly brings in the fact that, like, the Scoobies had, like, this secret meeting, and then you see, like, Faith kind of, like, reacting to that a little bit. Her body kind of, like, stiffens a little bit, and then she says something like, all right, guess that doesn't include me. Yeah, she undermines Giles, she undermines Buffy, and she undermines the Scoobies. It's just so sad too because it's like, Faith, like you've been the best friend to Buffy so far. Not to mention it's like you wouldn't want to be part of that conversation anyways. This whole conversation, I will say she understood Faith really quickly because I feel like she did everything she needed to do to like win Faith over. She starts out by just kind of making her feel like comfortable, not feeling, making her feel like she needs to put on um, about like the hotel room comment. And then she like has a heart to heart with her, but is honest with her, which is what Faith needs. And then she kind of makes her feel like she's seen and kind of affirms her like separation anxiety, I should say. I don't know what how you would refer to that with the Scooby gang. Um, and then she ends with like a, so do you want to go training? And then like Faith's like, you mean punching, kicking and stabbing, which is like her way of like therapy or what really like to, to yeah. get it all out when she's feeling a little bit like mentally distraught. So she's really got her like wrapped up in her coils right now. Yeah. She does such a good job of getting under their skin, which 
so sad because you see how vulnerable Faith is and just how much she just wants a parental, a parental or authority figure that takes a vested interest in her. And I think that's the thing. I think Faith wants something that's hers because she came into Buffy's world and has Buffy's watcher and Buffy's friends. And I think this moment between Gwendolyn Post and her is a moment that's affirming to Faith where it's like, hey, I'm your watcher. I'm something that's yours, you know? And so I think Faith really blossoms under that. Mm -hmm. Okay. This conversation with Willow and Buffy at school. What do you guys think of this one? Buffy asks her a scale from- This is mm -hmm. interesting. She says, on a scale of one, two million, how much are you hating me right now? And she goes, zero. You were scared. You kept a secret. That's okay. Secrets aren't bad. They're good, in fact. That's why we keep them. It's just- it's annoying because it's like you had the goal and the nerve to sit in on an intervention and tell Buffy this, this, and this, and how she was doing everything wrong. But then when you get her one-on-one, you're all on her side and you're saying that she didn't do anything wrong, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you're backpedaling. What's going on with that? You're backpedaling, but it's also just like you're doing whatever you can to ease your guilt. So if it's blaming Buffy, that's what you'll do. If it's being on Buffy's side because you want her on your side when you eventually tell her, that's what you'll do. It's just like Buffy is not your convenience piece. Like – yeah. She's your friend. Stop treating her like your punching bag. Yeah. I call BS. Like if if she was not yeah. in the midst of a scandal with Xander, she would be pissed. Uh, and you you know why I know yeah. that? Dead men's party. <laughs> I'm not just pulling yeah. this out of thin air. Like there's no way she would not be mad. Yeah. Uh, the the conversation I really want to talk about is when they're about ready to fight Lagos because I think that's the one that kind of um, changes a little bit of my view and perspective on Willow. Interesting. Okay. After that conversation, then we get to the meat of our hatred for Xander. So we're at the bronze. <laughs> Xander looks really pissed and Faith says that to him because um, he's playing pool and looks like he's about to – chuck those balls at the wall. Faith kind of insinuates that they that she thinks they had a meeting without her about Minigon, thinking that she was like they didn't trust her enough to like go after it or something along those lines. At least that's the vibe that I was getting. So she feels like she doesn't feel like yes. she's being trusted when it comes to her slayer abilities. And that she's not part yeah. of like the Scooby gang. Um, I really feel like they set up the tension here really well because I could really believe that from her perspective. And she's still reeling from the yeah. hurt of Buffy supposedly ditching her. So she's thinking, oh, they're isolating me. Buffy right. doesn't actually want to be around me. Uh -huh. So her yeah. wanting to go kill Angel, I feel like makes sense because she wants to prove herself. And she's like, if I kill Angel, everyone's mad and, they, and she thinks he doesn't. Okay. <sighs> Xander paints Angel as if he is yes. Angelus. And it – why is he forgiven in season three? I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm just re-watching these episodes and I'm like, people are like, oh, yeah, Xander's worse. But it's like, I think that we forget because um, we're not going to lie. Like, there's four other seasons. He's got to either get better or he's got to get worse. So people are just saying like, oh, he's the worst <laughs> in a cute little way being like, oh, I don't like Xander. We're assuming he is a little bit better. But it's like, because he can't stay like this forever. People would absolutely hate him, but it's just like, do we forget that he is trash? He's trashier. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. 
he he intentionally doesn't say much more. Like what he says isn't wrong, but he doesn't correct Faith when she jumps to extreme mm-hmm. conclusions and he leads her mm-hmm. to believe certain things because he, once again, doesn't want to be culpable for what happens, but he still wants like what happens to Angel to happen. It, like, But it's also like he takes all Buffy's choice out of the matter. Oh, yeah. Again. Oh, hmm. this seems familiar. Yeah. Where have we seen this before? Like, okay, so the whole thing where she says, face this angel guy like that with that kind of glove could kill a whole mess of people. Xander says, said the same thing to Buffy myself. Weird how she didn't seem to care. Okay, what the heck? You know she cares. Mm-hmm. Like, once again, like what you said, Tabby, Like, it's like they don't mm-hmm. trust Buffy. And it's like, what makes you think that you can't trust Buffy? Like, what, what is what wrong is with, with you people? fixation on thinking Buffy's this horrible human being when I've never even seen her fly off the rails angry? <laughs> She's done like questionable decisions like in when she was bad and then like after killing her boyfriend, maybe she'd skip down for two months. But it's like those are the only two things I can think of at this moment. And even so then she was going through actual trauma. And it's like what is everyone's fixation Stupid. on every minute detail? Buffy's always been so patient, so kind. Like she's one of the best penned characters, in my opinion, of all time that I've ever seen. Yep. I've ever seen. I like what you said a couple episodes ago, Tabs, where you were like, I think that the reason why Buffy is so great is because the Scoobies are just horrible. And they have they have to <laughs> counteract by having Buffy not respond horribly. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fun to watch. Like the reason why she's penned so well is because she's always, always being put in these situations where she has to be the ethical person. Just once I want Buffy to fly off the handle and just tell them what's up. I know. Sometimes it's just I will understand. I will cheer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe I will if you accidentally like, take me Xander. put me in Buffy's shoes. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I'm like, put me in Buffy's shoes. Let me yell at them. Yeah, exactly. A reboot for Buffy and they just also they like recast Sander. Or no, put have the same actor, Nicholas Brendan, be Xander. I don't care if he's old. Now have him recite the exact <laughs> same lines he said before. Now let's change it and have the new Buffy just whip let's his have, butt. Let's have the pack come back again. Let's see how it would do nowadays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know that one scene from The Office where like Michael roasts everyone? <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I can't recite it. Oh, I know all. Office pretty much all like, he goes, he's like, boom, roast it. That would be me. He's like, like, I would come he's like Oscar, line, you're gay. I'm like, Andy, you're even more gay than Oscar. Yep. Boom, roast it. Yep. I'd just be like, Xander, you're in love with Buffy. Boom, roast it. Boom, on. Like, <laughs> it's just like, I literally would have no mercy. Like, Buffy is so much more gracious than I ever would be. <laughs> to a fault, to the point where I'm like, girl, stand up for yourself. Stop letting them walk all over you. But yeah. Okay. And then here we go. And then she says, I say I slay. And he says, can I come? All right, next scene. I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. I just, I literally can't with that line. I will, my blood pressure will rise. So we need to move on. <laughs> <sighs> and then here comes the plot twist. Villain reveal. Mm-hmm. I will say this scene, as soon as she came in, felt off. So I feel like I wasn't too yeah. surprised the first time I watched this. Um Everything else before that, it wasn't really. He tells her where the glove is, um, tells her that a friend is holding it for for them, um, and then he says that they should destroy it. And you see her face kind of a little panic. She's like, oh, I hope they don't like get there and destroy it before I can get there sort of thing. Um, and then she knocks him out 
again. Oh, what is this? Number 12? Yeah, I think it's this. I will 12. say I'm glad <laughs> that they kind of made this one a little bit more extreme because like there has to be some sometime where this is going to be somewhat of like a close call. Well, I liked that it took two blows because she's human. Right. So oh. it doesn't – it isn't as – yeah, she isn't as strong as a vampire or something else that's knocked her out, you know? Yep. And then, Sarah, do you want to take the lead for this graveyard conversation? Because I'm con- I'm uh, sure. curious on what you think. Okay. So I had not seen it in this light before. So, you know, graveyard scene, Buffy's talking about how Giles is mad and she's like, you know, maybe if I kill Lagos, it'll be like a good sacrifice for him and he'll be like happy with me. And then they start talking about the secret with Angel and Buffy says – guess I can't really blame Giles, but you know, it's weird now that my secret with Angel's out, I feel better. And that's been a theme this season about like Buffy holding things in. She just like, it's not good for her. And then Willow says, well, sure you do. You've just had this big burden lifted. Keeping secrets is a lot of work. One could hypothetically imagine. Okay. Consistent fair with what we know of Willow so far. And then Willow says, can I ask you something when you were with Angel and nobody knew about it? Did that make things feel sexier somehow? Interesting. And it contrasts Buffy's response, which was no, no, it didn't. Like I wanted it to be out in the open. Okay. So here's my thing. She has a moral compass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buffy is in the right. Willow's in the wrong. So here's the thing. This this conversation made me feel worse about Willow. So often I, I even have the tendency. It's just because Allison Hannigan is so darn charming that it's easy to just she's excuse cute. her mm-hmm. crappy behavior. Also, too, because she's loved Xander for mm-hmm. forever. So there's a part of me that wants to see Xander and Willow together, not because I like Xander, but because I want Willow to have what she wants. That's the only reason. The thing is, is that this makes me feel icky because it's one thing if Willow is guilty and can't control herself because this is everything she's ever wanted. It's another thing if she knows what she's doing is wrong, but takes pleasure in it, in the secrecy and the forbiddenness of it. That's like reveling in the wrongness of what you're doing, which is a whole other layer of not okay. I mean, I think it's a bit of both. I think Willow does have a conscience and she does love Oz and she's feeling, you know, kind of like pulled in that direction. But I I do also think that anyone who cheats does it because there is like a part of them that is like likes the allurement of something new and something fresh and that that hidden kind of hush hush like sexiness that can go along with it. I'm not saying it's okay or whatever. I'm just saying like, it would it makes sense that that Willow would find a sexiness in it, but I think it does make it more scummy. That it's not just like oh, like they're caught up in passion. It's like there is kind of like this kind of rush of adrenaline, um, knowing that they're both kind of doing it in secret. See, I just I don't know. I don't agree that every time someone's having an affair, they're like, oh, this is so titillating because it's in secret. Because I think that people have affairs not because it's just a rush, but I think people genuinely have affairs because they are lacking something, missing something. There's a variety, it's very layered. There's, There's a of variety reasons. of reasons why people cheat, you know? And so I think it's completely valid for someone to, not valid, but I think it's completely possible for someone to cheat and just do it because they feel like they're emotionally lacking. But in this situation, I feel like we've, like the Willow and Xander affair has been represented as something like 
oh, finally, mm-hmm. oh, so sweet with like the stupid guitar but music it's not, that plays every time. But it's not time. being seen as that <laughs> other than just the music and the editing. It's not like – right. It's not as tender and sweet as it should have been and how it was painted out to to be in season two or how we wanted it to be. Right. But Willow like saying, you know, oh, sexy or somehow because then, okay, the next – the next thing is like Buffy saying like the forbidden fruit sweeter kind of teal deal, not really too much pressure. After a while, it makes even the fun parts not so fun. And Willow goes, huh, almost like, oh, no, it makes the fun parts not so fun. Like, oh, darn reality has a sudden. Yeah, that means, oh, man, the only aspect of this thing that I'm enjoying might actually be – because at this point, Willow is still doing this because it Mm -hmm. feels good. And so she's like, if it no longer feels good, now I'm just going to be left with this crushing weight of guilt. And it's like, Willow, how about the fact that, like, you know, you're cheating on the sweetest man that ever lived? I Yeah. Yeah. So I just – I don't know. I think this this conversation – kind of gives us a really interesting and unique peek into Willow's psyche, and I'm not 100% sure that I like what I see. I don't think she loves Oz at this point. Because you mentioned that she like loves Oz. I, I know people disagree with this, but I personally believe that if you can continually cheat on a partner, mm. you don't love them. That's a mm. conscious choice you make over and over again knowing – you're hurting them. And if you love somebody, you're in tune with their emotions. Doesn't mean you don't slip up and hurt them, maybe even on purpose. We're all human. But like to know the weight of cheating, whether that be kissing, making out, or even worse than that, like to do that over and over again and to enjoy the sexiness of it, you don't love that person. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think there's, I would agree. There's no way you yeah. could. Yeah, I think we've maybe gotten caught up, or I say we, me, I've been caught up in the fact that Oz clearly yeah. loves Willow. Like he is completely head over heels with her. And I think Willow has blossomed underneath mm-hmm. that. But yeah, I kind of agree with you. It's quite possible that yeah, I, yeah, think I don't think she loves him. And I think it's pretty clear that Xander doesn't love oh, Cordelia. Well, yeah, that's a given. I'm just talking about Willow. Um, <laughs> I think Willow loves the idea of him and I think she's getting there. Um, yes. I think that she's too wrapped up in wanting Xander and like the rush of finally getting him. You know what I mean? But I don't think that she loves him at this point. So Xander and Faith run into the library to get weapons while they're in a rush of like, let's go kill the An- or kill Angel. Fun, fun, fun. And then they hear a groan in the study. They run in there. They see Giles. This is interesting. It is interesting. What were your thoughts on this? I was a little like frustrated. <laughs> well, because all of a sudden Alexander, rightfully so, is very worried. And he's like panicking because he's like, Giles is going to die if I don't stay here and call 911 and make sure he's okay. But then it's like Faith is sitting there running through different scenarios about Angel, assuming it's Angel. And he doesn't really do much to defend Angel at all. He tries once and says, why do you assume it's Angel? And then, like, that's it. And then he just lets her go. Well, okay, here's my beef. In this scene, I actually applaud uh, Xander yeah, for the way here. he handles it. I think that he is level-headed. He's yeah. focusing on the bigger issue, which is Giles. He's thinking is rationally. Mu- he's thinking rationally. He's very much like it's not – you know, Angel, Angel's type. He wouldn't just knock him out. Like, he's thinking rationally. My issue is that it's obvious now. We've seen 
that Xander doesn't really think that this is Angel. Yes. But then the minute uh-huh. Buffy comes in, his story changes up. Yep. Yep. That's what pisses me off. Because it completely undermines how how he handles the situation. Because at least Faith legitimately thinks that this is like Angel. Like she right. really is doing this because she thinks that it's Angel. Whereas Xander lets her go and then doesn't defend it to Buffy mm-hmm. knowing it's not Angel. It's so smug yeah. too. He's like, oh, Faith assumed and... I don't remember what he said. I didn't write it down. He said, she's a big mm. girl. She came to her own conclusions. You just didn't, you know, fill in the blanks for her. Xander's intentionally saying, he says, we saw what you saw. And then Buffy says, so you just assume. He goes, I didn't. Faith did. He's deflecting. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who is the person behind the scenes manipulating everything and putting all of the pieces into place so that it all happens exactly how you want to, but you can wash your hands of it? It's just, it's so dirty. This is Xander at his most manipulative. Yeah, I think this is and the it's worst. Just not going to lie. Crappy. It's so crappy. Everybody like rightfully thinks about the part and becoming part two. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, this is almost scummier. No, this is worse. Because there's no, there's no argument Angelus. could be made for nobility mm-hmm. here. There's no – because he's clearly doing this out of like he's got a chip on his shoulder and out of like his own misplaced guilt. It's just stupid. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, all right. And so Angel in his huge mansion has been doing a spell, um, <laughs> doing all the, you know, brunt work. And then Gwen comes in and says, Giles sent her. Seriously, he found the glove. He's Seriously. like killing it. He's like, he doesn't even need the uh-huh. Scoobies. She comes in and says, Giles sent her. He seems a little bit apprehensive, but then she explains a little bit more and he's like, all right. She hits him over the head with the shovel. I think it pretends to black out because I don't believe they actually black out, but whatever. Well, okay. So the script says that Angel doesn't trust her. Um, but also it says that Angel's weaker than a normal vampire right now because he's still recovering. So that's why he's not as strong as he normally is. That makes sense. What a little loophole. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I literally wrote that in my notes. I was like, dang, this little frail old woman is really taking (laughs) She's like in her 30s. Old woman. She's not much older than I am right now. Thanks, Leah. (laughs) I think I just assume that she's so much older because she's just such a pain in the butt. So she's old, old woman. <laughs> and then they have this fight scene where he's like wailing her against the wall. Which is very in- interesting because I think they intentionally, like even having him stand up with his vamp face, this is the first time we've seen Angel in vamp face since he was Angelus. So it's very intentional mm-hmm. of like Joss is throwing in that whole, ooh, is Angel actually changed? Because he's really wailing on Miss Post probably more than he needs to be. And so it's like, is he actually like, a good guy, you know, that they're throwing. I mean, in there. last time we saw him in Vamp Face was when he was merging from his monster side or B side into his angel side. Oh, right. But that's like a metaphor of like leaving right. behind Angelus the Beast and then becoming Angel. And so, since yes. we've seen the last time, other than Angelus, we've also seen like Beast Angel. And so, it's interesting to yeah, see that right. parallel as well. And then Faith comes in as Gwendolyn is like crippled against the wall and like about to like pass out she throws him across the room he lands on the bed and she's about to stake him and then buffy grabs her arm yeah and you can see the like shock and a little bit of hurt in faith's Mm -hmm. eyes of like i'm a vampire slayer i'm staking a vampire Mm -hmm. like why are you stopping me it's very powerful questioning buffy's like 
morals at this point too Her loyalty and loyalty because mm-hmm. she's sitting here yep. being like if he's a vicious killer and a vampire then what are you doing and sometimes i feel like some fights between people i'm like come on guys like this is like i don't know why we're fighting so hard over something like this like a miscommunication like this but this one i feel like i get it yeah yeah no it, it really makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense and i think what makes us harder is the fact that like both of them fully think they're justified yeah. And they're both also hurt and confused at the other person. And so it's just such a compelling scene to watch. It it tears at you. This whole episode is really good at – there's a lot of different things going on. It's very character-driven. I think there's some, like, interesting plot holes that could be – possibly explained away that are just a little convenient, but really what is driving this whole episode is the underlying tensions that's happening between all of the characters. Yep. And then we see Xander and Willow kind of figuring out a spell. And then you see that Xander reads through a book. And I love how they did that they don't tell us and shows it to Willow. And they're like, oh, we don't have time to test this. And they sprint out. Yeah. Which kind of – I love when like stories do that. And so Bill's attention because you as a viewer is like, holy crap, what's going to happen? And then back of the mansion, Gwen convinces – oh, gosh. She convinces Faith to be more upset and just kind of riles her up more. Well, Miss Poe says she doesn't know she's blinded by love, which at first I was kind of like, okay, well, how does she know? How does she know these things? But Miss Post has proven that she's actually incredibly informed, like freakily informed about all of the Scoobies because she knows how to manipulate them. So that means she's got to know about Buffy and Angel, which I don't know how she would have known about it, but she somehow knows about it and is able to use it against Mm -hmm. them. And it is pretty interesting, the fact that Slayer versus Slayer, from like an outsider's perspective, Faith's just doing her Mm -hmm. job. Faith's just trying to kill the vampire. And it's actually like Buffy – I mean, we we understand completely where Buffy's coming from, but it looks like Buffy is the rogue slayer here. Yep. Well, not to mention, like, Faith is really doing this out of protection for Buffy. Like, yes, she's doing it because, like, she is blinded by Evil Watcher and stuff, but I really think that she fully is like, I want to do this to help Buffy because she can't do it. And Xander gets in the middle of their punching and kicking, gets thrown to the side. And then Gwen mm-hmm, good. I, Gwen finds the glove, turns around, hits Willow, even though she's a mile behind her. I'm like, come on, guys. I think it'll be a little better. Um, and then puts on the glove, the little stabby things, knives go into her arm. I'm like, Ooh. yeah, that's a little creepy. So it's really interesting. Valerie Frankel, um, she wrote the book – Buffy and the heroine's journey. She described Gwendolyn Post as arguably the most powerful woman, like villain woman of the show that we've seen so far. She said that while Post appears to be the strong female mentor that Buffy and Faith otherwise lack, it is significant that innocent Willow, said in quotations, who represents Buffy's sensitive side is threatened by her. Um, and that that's the reason why Gwendolyn Post hit Willow, which I thought was an interesting take. Sometimes I think it's funny People read into like, like, and this is why this person hit this person. I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> so many things. So yeah. like, maybe the show writers didn't really think much about it. <laughs> I'm like, well, either way, it looks really cool. So I'm glad they did. Oh, and then this part, oh, she's like, Faith, a word of advice. You're an idiot. Oh, my gosh. That's not what she my needs gosh. to hear. That poor girl. 
So according to Petrie, the writer, he said the glove of Minigon was originally supposed to be a demonic falconer's glove. He described, when you put it on and raised your arm, this huge dark cloud would burst through the ceiling and take the form of a bird that spits fire, which would have been kind of cool. This is determined to be unfeasible and an unfilmable idea. And according to Petrie, there was also a large amount of debate as to whether Gwendolyn Post would be human or not. The lightning that shoots from Gwendolyn Post's glove was actually drawn frame by frame by an artist per Joss Whedon's request. Isn't that insane? Hmm. That is so much work. That's so like meticulous and detailed. I can't even imagine how annoying he was to work with. (laughs) (laughs) Special requests all the time. Could you imagine? No, it's just like, could you imagine being like, okay, like, yeah, okay, like, we're just going to make some like fire and blah, 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 like a spell. And like freaking Joss Whedon comes out of nowhere and it's like, actually... It needs to look like this. Everyone's like, no one cares. No one cares. I care. I think it actually looks really cool. In a time when CGI wasn't super amazing, it actually looks pretty great. So It does. Like, I give it props, but still, I'm sure he was annoying. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with you there. <laughs> Leah's like, gosh, attention to detail? What a butt. <laughs> I just feel like he would just be – I'm just bagging on I just anything. feel like he would be a butt about it. It's not the fact that he's like – I just – I don't know. I just feel like he'd be one of those people that would just like be so like mean to you just like when you're trying to do your best and you're like, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, so Angel ends up saving Willow's life from a lightning bolt um, and you're like, see, guys, he's Angel. He's not Angelus. My goodness. Does he have to literally have to save your life for, for you to believe Buffy? Whatever. And then Buffy throws a glass shard, which realistically would not cut all the way through the arm, probably cut halfway through, but you know what? I'll give it to them. It was a sharp shard, okay? Tabby? But there's no like, way that it would hit all it was sharp. the way through a bone. Say you that five see, times fast. You didn't sharp see shard, off. Sharp shard, sharp Yeah, shard, I know, right? Sharp, That's what I said. Sharp. I was like, sharp shard. <laughs> you, you didn't see Buffy over there sharpening it right before. She was like, Faith, hold on. <laughs> oh, I thought you were being serious. I was like, sure that I missed that. No. Sorry. Sorry, I should I should preface when I'm joking because people are gonna be like, she goes into detail in so many things. There must be something she's seeing that we're not. It's so wait, Sarah, say sharpening. Sharpening. Sh- sharpening. Sharpening. Why are we saying sharpening? Because uh, the way you said it was weird at first. You said sharpening. It sounds the same to me. Yeah, <laughs> that, that sounds the same to me too. She's like, oh, well. she Never is sharpening. Sharpening a shard. She's sharpening. Sharpening. Oh. I also had to say sharp shard. She's sharpening her sharp shard. So like, you know, give me Buffy, grace. Buffy the Vampire Slayer sharpening her sharp shard to throw at the, like, just You know, there are certain, like, um, words used to describe random things, and you don't realize you know what that is until you say it. Shard was one of those things. I said a glass shard, and I was like, how did I, how did I know that meant glass? Shard doesn't mean glass. It just means a small, sharp, broken off piece it? of an object. It doesn't necessarily refer to glass. Thank My you, Mrs. Thesaurus. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. I don't know why. Actually, that doesn't mean glass. That means anything cut off. Sorry. Yeah, I'll be like. She's like, uh, actually, uh, shard comes from the Greek word. Uh, the Latin root. Sharpos. Uh, the, the real root of it means very pointy and sticky. We're like, okay. Sticky? What? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I don't know the actual root word of sharpos or whatever sharpos. the frick. Sharpos. It's it comes from the old English of oh. scarpies. It literally means cutting. Okay, anyway, back to shard. All right. So the shard cuts off her arm and then they 
the claws things detach from the arm. Nasty. Tefrim. I know. I have that like in my head every single time she like has lightning bolts come out. I will say though, like the the moment where Mrs. Post gets like disintegrated and screams is like seriously one of the more terrifying moments. I like the her screams are so visceral and real that it literally feels like an actual person is being completely like burnt up. I don't know. It gives me chills every time I watch the scene. That's a little bit stuck. This is well, this is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the school lounge area. I love how they just kind of like decompress and just like casually talk about like the events from the night beforehand as if they all hung out. Like Where the frick was Cordelia and Oz? They didn't they couldn't write two more characters in to help. Like uh I'm so frustrated by how sidelined they are this mm-hmm. season. Yep, or just in general, it's very frustrating. <sighs> and then Willow says Angel saved him, so kind of makes her like him again. Good. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't he have saved Xander and made Xander like and him? And then Xander says, as long as Buffy and him don't get pelvic, we'll be fine, I guess. Yay. Woohoo. This should have been your reaction in the first place. <laughs> so she comes up with a black eye. We rarely see her being affected the next day, which I love that that's a storyline because otherwise she'd be bruised yes. all the time. But I like that it takes a yeah. toll on her when someone who's supposed to be equally powerful or even more so in some situations actually shows some scarring on her, at least for a little bit. I think it's intentional specifically with both her and Faith as we see in the next scene because we're reminded, oh, hey, they're slayers. Mm -hmm. And that was actually like they were not holding back in that fight. They're bruised and scarred physically Mm -hmm. as well as emotionally too. I love when the show does that. They do that a lot, especially later on the seasons too. Like they they really stick with that theme. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Buffy, are we okay? Xander, yeah, just seeing you kissing him after everything that happened leaned me toward the postal, but I trust you. Do you, though? Yes, but he didn't, also, did he apologize? Why, why was it her kissing him that sent him over the edge? Ah, excellent observation. Why was it, Xander? It wasn't, oh, just seeing you with him, like trusting him again. It was kissing. That's what was pissing him off. I think it's because he was like, oh, snap. Like, then that means they're going to have sex, which means more people are going to die, which See, I mean is I a legitimate. I would love to think that it's that, <laughs> but I really don't right. think it is. Right. There's a whole other sus thing, which I mean, even Buffy herself suspects that that's it, you know? Guys, he didn't Ugh. even apologize. Like, can we just talk about no, that? No, I, I mean. No one did. Buffy did. Do we did. expect it? Yeah. Why is Buffy the one who's always going to people? Buffy went to Willow. Asked her realistically, how mad are you at me? She could have even said a million and she would have been like, okay, now I know where we're at. She went to Xander and said, are we cool? When she didn't have to do that. And he didn't apologize. He gave an excuse. I know. He gave an excuse. This is like peak. For me, this is like peak hatred for Xander. I know we've like subtly in some episodes have really crapped on Xander, but like I, I've never been more mad watching him in an episode. I'm being dead honest. Yeah, I agree. I need to make a jingle for us that's like for Xander where it's like <laughs> three seasons in. Xander, <laughs> trash. <laughs> I wish people could see us because we could just edit in a picture of a trash can every time he's on the screen. <laughs> uh, I should have been I know, him right? for Halloween, but just literally been a trash can and then been like, I'm Xander Harris. Uh, Did you guys see Giles with his green mug? So he popped up with his green mug in, I think it was Homecoming or Band Candy. But if you guys will notice, this mug 
appears many, many, many times in the show. Like it's the same mug. It's so funny. There's actual people who have gone out and like made this mug to look just like Giles's. It's really funny. I have to confess, I have not paid attention to Giles. <laughs> Same. What kind of fans are you people? Just kidding. I know. Okay. This is really embarrassing. How are we going to have a podcast <laughs> if we don't know this mug? <sighs> well, that's why I'm here. Wait, I only recognize one mug from the show, and I think most people know yes, that mug. Yes, I know exactly which one. I was going to say it, and I was like, can't yep. say that yet. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Um, poor Giles looks all like patched up and yeah. woozy and like has to sit down and oh, poor baby. We love you, Giles. And then he mentions that Gwendolyn Post was kicked out by the council a couple of years ago. What the freak? Which you should know that. I feel like I would have done some research on her. Yeah. And then this ending interaction with Faith and Buffy. This hurts. I think this scene just hurts <sighs> because like Faith is really the one who got hurt in this episode. Yes. Like, yes. Yes, of course, Buffy's friends were awful to her, and I think we've dedicated enough time talking about that. But, like, I think that we're really starting to get to know Faith, and we're really seeing just how much hurt she's gone through and how much she just hides it because she's just so sick of getting hurt that she just trusts herself over and over again. And it's just, like, this reaction – not reaction. This interaction is so revealing because, like, Buffy is standing there as someone who has tried to be a slayer alone – and it's like, it's not going to work. And Faith is just someone who has been hurt and burned so many times that the thought of like opening herself up again is just like painful. And you just, my heart just hurts for her. Yeah. I, w- I want to read out um, some of the dialogue that has happened just because I feel like some of it is so specific and I feel like really kind of sheds light on Faith's character. I also, the outfits very interesting. Buffy comes in mm-hmm. all like seemingly more mature dressed, very put together, very much like I'm going to her to make sure she's okay. And then Buffy says, how are you? And she says, five by five. And then this is so sweet of Buffy. She makes a point to mention that Gwendolyn fooled everyone. Faith says that she can't trust people and that she should have known. And then Buffy mentions, she's like, I know this is going to sound contradictory based on like, you know, us wailing on each other last night, but you can trust me. And she says, I'm on your side. And then she responds with, I'm on my side and that's enough. And then Buffy says, not always, which we all know and we've seen that through Kendra, right? Like a slayer who's by themselves and isolated is never a good thing. And that can manifest itself in many different ways. And I think that we've seen a little bit or at least a glimpse of who Faith is and maybe the the core of her. And I think we can see a different way of how Faith might react, I guess, without having people around her or feeling like she doesn't have people around her. Um, Because she kind of recoils in this moment. She kind of like goes back into like her hard shell. um, And she just says, is that it? And Buffy says, yeah, I guess. And then Buffy's about to walk away, and for a second, Faith goes Buffy, and then hardens again. Yeah, it's really sad. Faith, really, like Leah said, Faith was the victim here, and it feels like this is going to be a shift in the in the friendship, in the relationship, and hopefully, it's not one that lasts forever. But it's very different from how it was at the beginning of the episode when they seemed so in sync. You know, I think rewatching this episode maybe have a little bit more empathy for Faith. Because she was a hard pill to swallow the first time I – our first couple times, actually. And so I think breaking down the show has made me see her in a different yeah, light. Yeah, I agree. Especially in this episode. I agree. She's 
a much more complex, layered, and sympathetic character than when I first watched her. It's also no, absolutely. It's also important to note too that Faith was supposed to commit suicide in this episode. Um, her initial run, this scene at the very end, Buffy was supposed to find Faith, which I think is very. Oh dear God! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is woo. Yeah, but I feel like this episode was already a lot. But if it ended like that, I would have been like, um. Yeah. Could you imagine? I mean, and so that's kind of the mindset. I think that they're like, obviously Faith's not in this episode is not anywhere near that. At least I don't think so. But I, I it's just very interesting to me that they saw something in Elijah Dushku and Faith and they were like, we want to explore more of that. And I'm really glad they didn't because how heartbreaking would it have been to have Faith's arc just like snuffed out like that? I just – I that would have been so incredibly devastating. And you know whose fault that would have been? Xander's. But you know who's no. Everyone else would have thought it would have been? No, Buffy's. No. It's true. It's so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, guys. That was Revelations. That was a very – We made it through. Yeah. That was a hefty episode. That was a lot. I think that's the densest episode that we have had yet. Um, real fast – I wanted to read to you guys. We got a user email from Jesse D and they say, hello, I recently started watching Buffy because it was suggested to me by my cousin. I'm about one and a half seasons in and I'm really enjoying it so far. I just started listening to your podcast and it's super good. I love how you go super in depth in every little detail that I never would have noticed. You've helped me appreciate the show even more by pointing out things like parallels and character development. One of the things about the show that I thought was crazy though was in the second season, the band Dingo's Ate My Baby drives a right-hand drive van again and after watching the first two episodes, I was cracking up because my name is Jesse and I have a friend named Xander. Although I was sad Jesse was the one to get turned into a vampire, Xander was definitely the better of the two in my opinion. <laughs> Which I was like, ironic. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. My cousin, the one who suggested the show, went as Buffy and I went as Spike for Halloween and a few people figured out who we were. One thing I think would be cool that other podcasts do is listener mail, so reading a fan email at the end of each podcast, preferably before the spoilers section. Anyway, that's all. Thanks for making such an awesome podcast. So this is for you, Jesse. We're reading your we're reading your email. We appreciate it, and And we like your Halloween costume. We do. Send us a picture. We'd love to see it. Yes, and it's really fun to know that there's a new listener listening to podcasts because we have a lot of people who've seen the show before that are listening, and so it's just a fun reminder that somebody's listening along with no idea of what's to come in the future. So keep watching, Jesse. You have a lot of really great stuff in store. You guys can find us on Instagram, on Tumblr, on TikTok at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Let us know if you have any thoughts that you would like us to share. Um, and then next week for our spoiler section, we will be having our friend and listener Leah join us for the spoiler section of Revelations. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be really good. So if you are all about spoilers or you've seen all of the show, please come back for that. It's going to be a really good time. With that, you guys have a great week and we will see you next time.